Welcome to When I Grow Up or the We Goo Podcast. It's a podcast about different careers, and today my guest is a battalion chief from Boise Fire. So yeah, firefighter. Now, if you know anyone that wants to be a firefighter or is thinking about that for a career path, anyone that just wants to know what it's like to be a firefighter day to day, or you just want to learn something new about a different career field, you're going to have a blast with this episode today. Let's get into it. My name is Aaron Hummel. I'm a battalion chief in the 2nd Battalion for the Boise Fire Department, which mainly covers northwest Boise and the West Bench area of the city. And, of course, we cover any area in the city when one of my other two colleagues is out on another call. So, Did you always want to be a fireman? Initially, yes. Uh, I have pictures as a little kid around the Christmas tree getting a Christmas, you know, a, a fire truck for Christmas and the helmet, the whole whole shooting match I, I was into it for sure uh, at that time uh, I grew up uh, in the 70s and 80s and at that time there was a show uh, called emergency and it was based with the LA County Fire Department and uh, it was about the fire department and they went around with them and they had paramedics on the fire department which at the time was a, a pretty new uh, program and uh, man I love that show I would run home from my friend's house to watch emergency uh, so initially, yes, and then that, uh, as I got a little bit older, that that love and desire to ride a fire truck kind of waned, and then I actually kind of got interested in law enforcement uh, starting about junior high school, and then uh, I served in the military, and after I got out of the military, um, I was actually a, a firefighter in the Navy, a damage controlman, which was, uh, you know, we went to a fire academy for that. And so I decided to go ahead and test with the fire department when I got back, even though really at the time my intent was to, uh, you know, get hired with uh, Boise PD. So are you, are you from here? From Boise? I grew up here, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and then you were in the Navy for four, six years? Four years. Four mm-hmm. years? Yeah. Where were you stationed? Uh, I went to boot camp in San Diego. I went to the fire academy in San Francisco, and then I went to the East Coast in Norfolk, Virginia, and was assigned to a ship there. Uh, USS Puget Sound was the name of it, but okay. it was a destroyer tender out of Norfolk, Virginia. So what was the struggle between maybe going to law enforcement, which seems like it was your career path for probably, what, 10 years for a while? thinking about going that way yeah or was it just was the ease or um gosh it would have been about so i went for a ride along with garden city pd when i was 16 and from that moment on i had the law enforcement bug in fact i was going to test for isp when i was 18 and i thought they'll never hire me i'm only 18 years old i don't have any college yet i don't have any military experience and I wanted to put myself through college, so I went ahead and enlisted in the Navy um, so that I could get money for college and get the military experience that I thought I would need to be able to get hired. So I never did test with ISP before I took off on the Navy. Came back here. Again, my my game plan was to uh, you know get on in law enforcement. And I got hired with Garden City PD almost right away as a reserve officer. And I was supposed to get hired that fall. Um, That fell through, and I had, let me back up a second. So six months before I was due to get out of the military, my father called, who uh, they at the time they still were here in Boise, and he knew uh, a captain that worked for Boise Fire. And he also, my father, was in federal law enforcement, and so he kind of had an idea of uh, how law enforcement goes, you know, as far as the, the nature of it as a career. And he really wanted to steer me away from that. But you can't really, when someone has a law enforcement bug, you can't really talk 
logic to them. It's just something they got to do. And my father is wise enough to know that. Well, because I was a fireman in the Navy and I'd been to hazmat classes and, and done a number of uh, firefighting schools, he was telling me about this captain that he knew that worked for Boise Fire. And, and he was telling him or telling me that it's a really good deal. I should test with the fire department. And I was like, yeah, dad, I'm going to do the law enforcement thing. Yeah, no thanks. You know, and he's like, well, I know you had a lot of classes. And uh, so make a long story short, he says, the last thing he says to me is, hey, I thought it might be better for you to, you know, work for the fire department until you can get on at BPD or, or somewhere else rather than flipping burgers. And I'm like, oh, what the heck? Yeah, okay. So I planned my trip back here in, uh, uh, it would have been April of 94 and took the test for the fire department two days later. And then I ended up getting hired a, year, a little over a year later, May 1st in 95. A year? Mm -hmm. It's a two-year list. So uh, when you take your fire department entrance exam, they establish a list that's active for two years. I didn't score high enough to be in the top first increment of the hiring. But in the second academy, I was offered a position. And again, just as fate would have it, I was supposed to get hired full-time with Garden City PD in October of 94. That didn't happen. And uh, then I was supposed to get hired full-time April 1st of 95. That again was delayed. And in the meantime, I was offered the job in the fire academy. And uh, about a month into the fire academy, I was offered the full-time police job. And I said, nah, keep my name on the list, but I'm going to deny or decline right now. And then the longer I was on the fire department, the more I was like, whoa. I'm super thankful that I made the choice that I did and I'm on the fire side. Let's talk about someone that wants to join Boise Fire. Mm -hmm. What would that process be like for them from the beginning to being hired, from application date? Mm -hmm. How does that go? Uh, well, first off, you, easiest way is to go to cityboise.org forward slash fire. It'll give you some information. There's some intro videos that talks about being a firefighter. Um, once you've registered, you have an interest, then you'll get information from the city about how to apply. Uh, first step of the process is to do a written examination. Um, we typically have somewhere around 1,000 people test for that. And um, after that, if you test high enough, and the process has changed a little bit through the years, so I might not be totally spot on, but uh, once, you get, once you test high enough in your written application, then you can move on to the next phase. Uh, the next phase includes um, an oral board, and so you'll be asked a series of oral board questions in front of a panel, and they'll basically give you a grade for your oral board. And then they put the two of those, the written exam and the oral board grade together, and the cumulative that comes out establishes the, the priority, the, the list for hiring for the next two years. You'll then... Uh, you know, they'll take, say, the top 100, and they'll go through the next phase, which is a doctor's physical, um, you know, some of the other steps that they have to do to make sure that they're fit for duty to be able to do it. And then once you do, uh, we typically hire somewhere around 30 people within a two-year period. Um, once you get that call to, that you've passed your doctor's physical, you've passed the background check, and all those things, uh, then you're offered a position uh, with a start date for the academy. And once you start the academy, it's about, uh, let's see, I want to say it's around 20 weeks uh, to get through the fire academy. It's a very competitive, difficult uh, process, you know, to make sure that uh, the candidate has what we're looking for. Is the academy, does it have a washout rate that people go in? And then... 
Yeah. Yeah, typically I would say, gosh, it's um, it, it varies per academy, but we usually use lose a, a few every academy that just couldn't meet the standard. Yeah. And it's twenty weeks. Is it just Boise Fire, or is it all different um, cities? Or it, it's been a combination through the years. Um, it's most often we have uh, other departments with one or two people in it. Uh, this time we were supposed to, Caldwell was supposed to have a couple people in it. And uh, for some reason, they didn't end up having a couple. This academy that's going right now has 15 uh, recruits in it, and it's all Boise Fire. The time before, though, they had a Meridian, an Eagle, uh, Boise, of course. Okay. Do you guys hire only once every two years, it sounds like, and you build that list? Uh, you... They establish the list that's active for two years, and we'll hire when we need to based upon retirements. But, of course, we have to forecast based on vacancies and retirements because the reflex time for the academy is four months you know, to, okay. to get people through it. So, okay. So we usually hire a couple times in the two year period. Okay. Is it more competitive in Boise than it is in other cities to get on to? Uh, well, it depends on what city you're comparing us to. If you're talking about comparing us to California, for example, it's probably less competitive in Boise In California. It's incredible. I mean, it's, you think about a thousand people testing, 30 people getting hired. It's pretty competitive. It's even worse down in California. In fact, Almost every academy we have, I would say probably a majority of people that are from outside the area that end up getting hired. So um, depends on where you're comparing it. If you're comparing it to a smaller department, it's probably more difficult to get hired at Boise City. If you're comparing us to, like I said, California or maybe Seattle, it might be easier to get hired in Boise. It's very competitive in the fire service. Are there some... Uh, cities that you know that are very easy that have a shortage and they reach out and try and get a lateral um there have been some lateral opportunities that i've heard of i don't think it's very common though i know that we were extending uh, a lateral option for there was i can't remember how many but there was a whole bunch of uh, professional firefighters laid off in reno here with the economic slump and uh, we offered some options for them to be able to come over but they would still have to go through our fire academy if i remember correctly and uh there were a couple that were going to do it and then there was some hope they were going to get their jobs back so they didn't end up coming do you have to go through the academy mm -hmm. okay so regardless of your background you'll go through the academy mm -hmm. yep we hire people seems like every academy that has experience at another fire department somewhere um, there are national standards and state standards for firefighting, uh, but it's not anywhere near as organized as on the law enforcement side of things. That uh, so in Idaho you have to go through post. You know it's a state academy. So once you're post certified, whether you work for Coeur d'Alene Police or Kootenai County Sheriff, they all have been through that yeah. level. Now uh, Boise City Police also hire a lot of people from other police departments around the state, and they won't have to go through the full post academy again. But even Boise PD has their own academy that they run people through uh, to make sure they're up to their standard. Um, for us, regardless if someone's been through a fire academy, uh, some people come to us and have a degree, you know, a fire science degree, an associate's degree from Chemeketa or Portland Community College or one of the other community colleges in the region. And, and despite that, they still go through our full academy with everybody. Um, the academy's not only uh, physically demanding, a lot of running, a lot of, you know, drilling, uh, pulling hose, climbing ladders, but it's also very academically challenging. Um, I don't know how many pages the uh, 
the essentials book they have to read now. But in, in my academy, which it's gotten a lot more difficult in the last 20 years since I got hired, um, but in my academy, our essentials book, I think, was somewhere between six and 800 pages, and we had to read that in the first month of the academy in addition to all of our other assignments. So reading our chapters, you'd have to read each night so you're ready for class the next day. And it's the same way today um, where they have a lot of reading to do in addition to the you know performance there when they're at the academy. You said you get hired to go to the fire academy, and then from there you know already once you get hired to the fire academy, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what agency you're going to work with. Yep, you get hired by a given agency, and then you go to the academy. And in our case, like I said, this time we have 15 recruits that are all in our academy. Um, if Eagle had a recruit they were hiring, that recruit would go to the same academy. Um, we bring in instructors from Eagle sometimes to help out, or Nampa, Caldwell, whatever area departments. Meridian had a guy that was assigned to our academy. I believe it was the last academy the entire four months. When you have someone graduate through academy, what kind of expectations do you have from someone that's graduated? What things have they learned that you kind of expect and then you build on those blocks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you touched on the fact that it's uh, it's fairly paramilitary in, in its uh, structure, and that's true. Um, there's a lot of things that they're looking at during the academy. First off, uh, there's a four-week exam, you know, a, a practical and written exam. There's an eight-week and then a 12-week And then even after they graduate the academy and they hit the line, they have a series of drills and assignments they have to complete in their first year of uh, employment, which culminates with a 12-month written test and a 12-month practical test. During the academy and, quite frankly, during that entire probationary period of the first year, um, the candidate's constantly being assessed to see if they can physically meet the requirements of the job and then mentally and emotionally meet the requirements of the job. It is very attention to detail specific, you know, probably not a mystery to you. We really rely on each other in life and death situations. So we have to be able to count on the person next to us. And so the, the, the academy is very attention to detail specific. And while to someone that doesn't understand the big picture, they might be like, man, that seems a little bit nitnoid that they're that critical. But you got to understand during the academy phase, we're wanting to make sure that when we say A, we expect A to be done, not an iteration of A or C. And so it's it's very attention to detail oriented. And quite honestly, if, if you fail your four-week exam, for example, uh, say the practical test, and now you have to do a retake, you're, you're given an opportunity to do a retest. If you fail that second one, your job's on the line. If you fail the third one, you're done. And that's pretty emotionally stressful. I mean, you think about someone who's moved their family from another city, uh, maybe they have children, I and mean, that's a very intense experience for them. And so it's, you know, one, we need to make sure that that candidate can follow attention to detail and we can count on them when we really need to. So really, I mean, it, very stressful for the candidate as well. But again, what we do is pretty stressful. You know, it's time sensitive, highly technical at times, and uh, it's really a kind of a team high-stakes sports team, if you will. So we can't really have one member of the team not doing his job. It sacrifices or compromises the whole mission. Do you feel like your experience in the military helped? For sure. I think that, and probably like you as well, you know, 18 to 22 serving in the military, I mean, kind of during those formative years, for me personally, um, you know, I got a chance to travel over the Mediterranean area during the first Gulf War. And um, I mean, it's just a, it's an experience where you're, you know, don't have mom and dad anymore and you're, you're really 
learning and being mentored by you know people in a real structured environment so for me yes i think it was really helpful for me so you kind of touched more on military in general rather than being a, a firefighter in the navy mm-hmm. so is that really more just general discipline rather than actually just being a firefighter and all that yeah i mean for me personally i i absolutely i have a son who's a junior at boise state right now and he he wants to get into the fire business as well, but you know I tried to encourage him to go the military route. If not four years, two years, um, he's chosen to go the traditional college route right away. Which obviously that's a a great decision too. But I'm super supportive of the military of of having that foundation during those formative years of a real structured environment and, and appreciation for how our system set up. A lot of people have this conception that. Firefighters, oh, it's so easy. You'd be bored all day, 24 mm-hmm. hours on. Mm-hmm. And then, however, well, it's either one day on, two days off, or two days on, four days off. Mm-hmm. depends on the agency. It sounds like the education never really stops. After mm-hmm. your first year, your job is still on the line. Is there a job that you file under when you get out of post and start working? And then after a year, you start learning the different specialties? Mm-hmm. And there's, because there's all sorts mm-hmm. of specialties. It's kind of like the military in mm-hmm. the sense. Like, there's a lot of different jobs people don't know. But you need to know kind of all of them in order to move up, or maybe you don't. Can mm-hmm. you touch on that? Yeah, you bet. So um, first off is, you know, the, the pace I described for that first year certainly relents. It's not uh, the entire career, 30 years, 28 years, however long you end up working, isn't that stressful of, of pace as far as your job being on the line. Uh, that first probationary year is you're kind of under the microscope, you know. After that, um, it's certainly not as intense you mentioned the you know the, the perception and i think a lot of people's perception of the fire service comes from tv shows they watch um and you know certainly i think in years past and i can talk about boise city cuz i know a little bit about it um we go in the way back machine we're talking like late 1800s early 1900s um the fire department worked 12 days on one day off it, it was truly a life and they were given 1 hour to go home for lunch if they were within earshot of the bell. In about 1908 or 1910, somewhere around that time frame, the council uh, authorized the change of schedule to go from 12 days on, one day off, to nine days on, one day off. So I don't know about you, but spending nine days, 24 hours a day, away from your family, certainly they could come visit at the firehouse, that's pretty intense. I mean, it truly is, that is your life. And as a result of that, for well, up until about 1965, I believe it was, we ran a two-platoon system here in Boise, which was uh, one day on, one day off, one day on, one day off, one day on, one day off. And I'm not sure at what point between 1910 when it was nine on, one off, to 1965 when they went to the three-platoon system where you had one day on, two days off. Um, I'm not sure at what point those changes occurred. But certainly if you can imagine working for nine days on, one day off, you, you couldn't have an unrelenting pace where you're constantly studying, constantly training, you know, you'd go crazy. And I think that's where the perception, the old school perception of firefighters playing checkers in the firehouse waiting for just, you know, that that bell. Additionally, in uh, 1973, the National Highway Transportation Board passed the, the uh, gosh, can I remember the term, the name of the act now? Uh, anyhow, the fire department started getting involved in EMS response, emergency medical services. So it wasn't just the fire that you're waiting on. Um, technical aspects of the job 
like trench rescue, structural collapse, confined space rescue. There really wasn't a rescue team at the ready. You know, the police would go and an ambulance company would go, which in Boise up until 1975 was run by private companies. And before the private companies run by funeral homes, ran the ambulances. And they would go, and I've talked to people that worked during that time where they didn't have a technical rescue team. And the ambulance crew that was untrained in trench rescue did what they could to try to get the person out. And a lot of people trying to help, you know, with a shovel. And through the progression of the years, eventually fire departments morphed into what they are today, which is essentially an all hazards response. If, if you don't know who to call, they're going to send the fire department, right? You call 911 with the exception of some type of violent act without somebody being injured, we're going. And even if someone has the potential of getting injured, we may go and stage while the police go and deal with the man with a gun or, or whatever it is. So as a result of that, we have all hazards like you mentioned. We have the hazardous materials team, which Boise's uh, hazmat team serves as a regional response team for uh, much of the Treasure Valley and uh, going east towards Twin Falls. We have the technical rescue team, uh, which covers confined space, high angle, trench rescue, structural collapse, high angle, uh, like cliff rescue, like Table Rock, or we've rescued people off, construction workers off high-rise buildings downtown when they're under construction. Uh, anything with a high angle component, we're having to do a repelling type system to get to the person from high above. High angle from the ground? Correct, yeah. Okay. yeah. So 90 degrees yeah. would be the yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And then, you know, in 1974, the dive rescue team started in Boise, and that was because people were floating the river more and people were having trouble in area ponds. So since 1974, we provided underwater dive rescue as well as surface rescue on the river and canal systems here in the area. And then uh, the aircraft, you being from the Air, the Air Force and knowing a little about that, that, that in itself is a specialty. So we have five people on duty at all times out at our airport fire station that are familiar with the different types of aircraft, uh, where battery shutoffs are, you know, uh, different aspects of aircraft rescue and firefighting. So. Um, as you said, there's a lot more to uh, our job today rather than just sitting in the station waiting for just a fire. In addition to that, we have advanced life support paramedics as well as EMTs. So everybody on the job it has to be an EMT. In fact, that's a condition of employment these days. You have to have your EMT to test. Uh, so everybody is EMTs that's in our combat division or operations division. And then we have 25 uh, advanced life support paramedics on strategically positioned engines, engine companies around the city. Wow. It's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. And then you have, I don't even know what to call it, but it's a truck and it has a steering wheel on the back. <laughs> that, I don't even, what do you call that thing? Well, we call it a tractor-drawn aerial or a tiller rig or an aerial ladder. Um, yeah, that's how do, it. How do we describe that thing? Um, someone that's hearing this. Hook and ladder is what the old term that was used in the 70s. and um, We just call it a truck company or an aerial device, and we call it a tiller. Uh, the, the guy that drives in the back is the tillerman because it's a tillered, uh, tillered apparatus. So um, most fire departments call it a tractor-drawn aerial or TDA. Okay, and then you're not really driving in the back, you're just... Yeah. Well, yeah, you're you're not driving the front. No, there's a guy at the front that's driving, accelerator brakes, all that. You're in the back, you're kind of riding along, but you need to, if he turns left, you turn right so that your turning radius is, is uh, improved. Unless you're doing lane change. 
exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they can ascend yeah. into it. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me in. Exactly, yeah. They can capture the lane for the driver up front. How do you get assigned to those different jobs? There's so many different yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah. Well, once you get off your probationary year, you can put in to be on one of the teams. So if you're a chemistry guy, say you just loved organic chemistry in college, um, you can put in for the hazmat team. And if you get selected for the hazmat team, then uh, you go through a hazmat technician course, which for the most part covers all the gear. And then you'll also have to go through a hazmat chemistry course uh, in Boise. And the hazmat chemistry course is a lot of class. a very intense classroom portion where we talk about molecular structure and chemical interactions, what happens when an oxidizer gets together with a reducer, and you know, so you can predict a little bit of the chemical reactions. And uh, so if you have an interest in chemistry, hazmat teams for you. If you have an interest in physics, you know, tech rescue might be an interest for you, whether you're shoring a building that's, you know, compromised, you know, from a vehicle running into it or uh, some type of other structural type collapse, or as we talked earlier, that high angle rescue, um, tech rescue might be an interest. If you're, you know, if you have a water thing, you're a good, strong swimmer, um, our dive team might be for you, you know. Uh, a lot of guys love sport diving. A lot of our divers, when they vacation, they try to go where they can dive because they love diving. And then, of course, if you have an aviation interest, then the ARF team's for you. If you have a medical interest, then being a paramedic. So a lot of options, a lot of, a lot of avenues to travel for sure. When you came out of the academy, can you kind of describe your career mm-hmm. and kind of where you've been placed and sure. where you wanted to go? Yeah, and I should also point out before I do that that uh, – you know, if you still have an interest in law enforcement, you could always go the fire prevention route. So we have uh, the operations division is what we've predominantly talked about at this point, uh, which is the 911 component of what we do. Uh, there's also the fire prevention bureau, which uh, there's six inspectors that do fire inspections around the city. Uh, we have a fire protection engineer that reviews the, the fire plans and the, the systems, uh, helps with uh, planning and development services downtown. Uh, so there's that component, then there's... Wait, is a, that... Sorry to cut you off. Is, is that part of Boise Fire or Boise PD? Boise Fire. Okay, but it is a law enforcement side of... Um, well, it's, we, it's, I mentioned the law enforcement because of our six inspectors, I believe we have three or four of them that are actual fire investigators. So when we have a suspicious fire um, or we just have a, a large property loss, we'll oftentimes call for an investigator. And that investigator goes there and they try to figure out cause and origin of the fire. And uh, they partner up with uh, police investigators, detectives, and what they do on that scene um, has a huge impact on whether or not they'll get a conviction or not if it was an incendiary type fire. So that's another whole component of the job. You could go that direction if you had an interest in investigations and so forth. And then we also employ uh, a maintenance division. So when you have a fleet of uh, 18, actually be... Uh, 21, 26 frontline vehicles, uh, there's a lot of maintenance that needs to be done. So we have uh, four, I believe it is, fire mechanics down at our maintenance division. A lot of these guys were ASE mechanics before they ever joined the fire department or they had an interest in it. They go to school, mechanics school, and they, they work on our fire apparatus, make sure that they are in top shape. They're plumbers too. <laughs> we do have some tradesmen <laughs> that we've hired along the way too. Yeah. I think they're yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty funny. That's a legitimate question. Yeah. You guys have- we honestly, I mean, when someone calls nine one one and they call the fire department, 
it's nice to have that diversity of our workforce because we you'd be amazed at the things that we see and do and encounter and it really helps we have a number of electricians on the job we've had plumbers that have worked for us a, a host of backgrounds that are pretty impressive so the more life experience you have it sounds like the better candidate you are to get in yeah you know it's funny we the, the fire service in my career which is a little over 20 years at this point has really changed from a tradesman type vocation where we had people that knew somebody who knew somebody and they were able to get hired at the fire department, but they knew them from being a plumber, an electrician, or a framer or in the construction trade. And so that person that got hired at the fire department because they knew somebody had, like you described, work experience and, and real legit work experience it was very mechanical. And so those people tended to have great mechanical aptitude or excellent troubleshooting. What we find today, and I think it's a phenomenon of how competitive the, the process is to get in, we have way more college-educated people today that have more of a formalized education, maybe a little bit less on the mechanical aptitude or life experience side. And we certainly hire people that have life experience and that they just they're also very bright and they they're able to get through the process but i don't think that we have quite as many tradesmen working today as we did in the past additionally uh, in the past the the wages for the fire department were so poor that almost everybody had a side job to be able to make ends meet and so they framed on the side or they did the plumbing thing or electrician thing on the side today you can be a fireman and support a family i mean you'll never be living a lavish lifestyle but you can certainly have a very comfortable you know lifestyle as just a fireman so the quality of life, what, what's the schedule like, the pay like? Can you talk about the pay structure and how you, you move up and career advancement sure. and all that? So um, you start off with, uh, as a probationary firefighter for the first year. Um, I think that, that while you're in the academy, I believe there's a classification beginning firefighter. I believe um, once you graduate the academy, you get a little pay bump. At the end of your first year, you get a pay bump the end of your second year you get a raise third year you get a raise um, after that once you obtain firefighter three status you'll stay firefighter three the rest of your career unless you choose to test for advancement so the next step in the progression would be senior firefighter or engineer so they're the ones that drive the fire apparatus so um, in order to be a driver there's a whole host of qualifications you need to understand the pump theory and construction troubleshooting obviously the, the laws for commercial vehicles and, and that type of stuff. So they have to go through a training academy, essentially, to get qualified to drive. And then we have a pro co competitive promotional exam to actually get the position on a permanent basis. So if someone, say the regular driver is sick, if the firefighter that's on that rig is qualified, he's gone through the driving academy, he's qualified to drive the rig, he'll drive it that day, and he'll get paid for being the driver that day, but he doesn't have that promotion. He has to test for promotion to become a driver. Once he's a driver, then the next step would be captain, which is basically the company officer. They sit in the passenger seat on the fire engines, fire trucks up front, and they're the boss on the fire apparatus. They're the, they're the, they're the typically the first in to our events is usually an engine company captain. And that's simply because there's 16 engines in the city and only three area ladder trucks. So typically an engine captain is gonna be the first in on that. He'll start out kind of laying the foundation. It's usually that engine that if it's a fire, we're, we're pulling the equipment and hose lines off of, and they're pumping from that apparatus. And then the next step after that would be a battalion chief. So, again, a competitive exam to get promoted to battalion chief. 
above battalion chief, you'd be no longer in the operations division and the line, you know, respond to 911 calls. You'd be an administrative chief, uh, and it goes division chief, deputy chief, and then the chief. Okay. So that's your next step, right? Yeah, I, you know, I'm pretty happy where I'm at, you know, staying in the 911 side of the, the uh, Quality of life, job. you gotta be happy, yeah, right? Yeah, you, gotta yeah. smile, you gotta smile. How many people are in an engine? Uh, three. Minimum of three, occasionally we have four. And then on our aerial ladder trucks, we have a minimum of four. Is it just three, three people, three, four people in an engine, and that's how many people are staying in the firehouse at night? On some of our stations, yeah. So three of the three of the stations have an aerial tra aerial ladder and an engine, so there's seven people there, sometimes eight. And then at the battalion stations, like I work at Station Four, there's an engine company there with three, and then a battalion chief, which is just one. So there's four people at that fire station. Okay, they're massive though. I feel like there'd be more people there. Yeah, well, it depends on the the particular station. Yeah, some of them are massive because they're built to house a ladder truck. Like our station 17 is one of the newest uh, stations at Victory and Cole. It's a great big station. And at this point, it's where the regional hazmat team is. So they have a lot of equipment that's mm -hmm. inside the bays. Yeah. But they also, and they just have a single engine company. So you could look at that and go, wow, that is a massive station. But the plan is as soon as station four is rebuilt to be able to handle or accommodate a ladder truck, they're going to move the ladder truck from Cole and Franklin to station four. They'll move the ladder truck from Broadway and the freeway to Station 17, which they built the station to accommodate the extra people in the vehicle. And that's just to try to get a little bit better coverage uh, in the city for um, the truck companies. Okay. Uh, Complicated, I know. Yeah, I know. I, I live here and I'm gone. Yeah. I'm gone. My head's <laughs> sore. That's, you nailed it. Like, just yeah. better coverage is big. Yeah. Let's go with your you would ask me if, if I could go through my progression once I graduated the academy, what I did. Yeah. Do you want me to cover yeah. that? Let's, let's go there. Okay. So uh, I graduated the academy and um, spent the first part of my career. I got a sign. Well, first off, I should probably tell you the difference between a fire engine and a fire truck because most people don't understand the difference between those two. And I've already talked about the tillered aerial apparatus and yeah. engines. So a fire engine, there's 16 of those that cover the city. Every district in the city has an engine that's hopefully within a mile and a half, two miles of their home. Um, they do first response for medical emergencies. They're the smaller of apparatus that has hose, water, a pump, and they we use those for pretty much everything. So an engine is kind of like a platoon in the Army or a squad, would you call it that? Or are you mm -hmm. actually talking about a vehicle? I'm talking about a vehicle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the, so a fire engine is a smaller vehicle. A fire truck is the larger vehicle that has a big white aerial ladder on it. Okay. Okay. So the fire engines, they'll go on pretty much every incident. The fire trucks, for the most part, just go on technical rescues, uh, fires, auto accidents with extrication, that type of thing. So that's the, a big word. You might want to say Yeah. <laughs> Auto accident with extrication. So that's when someone's trapped in a vehicle from an accident. We need to use the jaws of life, what most people are familiar with. Someone used that on my car once. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Do you have an accident? You had to... I didn't have my car caught on fire. And oh. that was not my accident. But <laughs> they jammed in the radiator so they could take the... Oh, to get the hood open so that they could... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, they got to get the trunk or the hood release so they can get... So... <laughs> Flames are coming out of the fender wheel, and when the 
fire engine showed up. I was, let's <laughs> 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 try to blow it out. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, sorry, buddy. They jammed the jaws of life in there into the radiator and just accordion the, oh. the deal. Anyway, that's a really embarrassing story. I'll probably cut that out. <laughs> no, I'll put it in. <laughs> that's funny. I had a friend of mine in high school that, uh, told his parents he was going one place and he used their car to go visit his girlfriend downtown here and on the way back the car caught on fire and saying it was a volkswagen bug and same thing he's on a city bus bench watching this car go up in flames and he's like if they put it out fast i still might be able to touch this up you know the first thing the firemen did when they got there is bust out the back window to get water inside it and he's like oh man i'm done so yeah he was busted uh okay Fire so, engine, fire truck. Right, the so, fire truck is bigger than the engine. That's correct. Yeah, the fire truck, a good way to tell a fire truck is it's got a big aerial device. So they use those for, you know, uh, aerial-type rescues. They use them for um, providing what we call forcible entry, being able to get into a vehicle or a home, breach a wall. Uh, the truck guys typically do the search and rescue component, so we'll do a, a search, a primary and secondary search on any fire we go to uh, to make sure there's not any victims. The engine companies typically are the ones that are stretching the hose line, squirting the water, uh, doing that type of stuff. The truck companies will go on a medical, but not if the engine company is available, the engine company goes on the EMS calls. So our paramedics are on eight of the 16 engine companies. Okay. So I started out my career after the academy. You, you, you work as what we call a swing guy or a floater. So basically you call the staffing station in the morning and you find out where there's a vacancy. And they say, go to engine six. You know, the guy in engine six is six, so I'm filling in that day. Um, based on seniority, after you've swung for a while and a vacancy opens up, which trickles down, comes from someone retires at the top, a, captain, a new captain's promoted into that spot, a new driver's promoted in that spot, a firefighter vacancy occurs, and then you're offered a, a permanent spot. So my first permanent assignment was on truck company six over by Bishop Kelly. Spent uh, a couple years on that. And then I wanted to get a little more exposure to the engine side of things. So I worked on the, the three busiest engines in the city at the time. Uh, I went to engine eight, then I went to engine five, which is the busiest one, and then to engine six, and then back to truck six before I promoted to driver. I spent 10 years as a firefighter uh, before I got promoted to driver. And I kind of did that on purpose because I wanted to have more experience working under a captain directly. Uh, if you're the first in engine company on a fire and you're the driver, you're pumping the engine so you're at the engine rather than going into the fire so i wanted that experience in in you know going into the People fire might not so know this, but there's a, is there a pto that you have to engage in? transmission over um you want to explain what you're doing there because you're running pumps because people just think you just turn a button it's all good yeah it happens. They don't yeah know. so you want to touch on that sure really sure yeah so once we once we get there uh and you need to use your pump then you have to shift it from road into pump and then put it back into drive so the engine that drives that propels the engine along also is the same engine that propels propels the pump um it's not to where you can pump and roll in a fire engine you know, like you could in some types of vehicles. But you put it in road mode or you put it in pumping mode. But that's one of the first things a driver does when we have a fire is they put it into pumping mode. And that gives us the, the power to run the pump to pressurize our hose lines. Yeah. 
it, it's a transmission switch. Mm -hmm. It's valve, yeah. Some people yeah. don't know that. Yeah. So, yeah. so you're managing those while they're calling fire, how much more? Exactly, yep. So they, yeah, once they get it in pump gear, um, that's another thing. There's, you know, people, it's funny, I remember being in high school and asking my algebra professor, will we ever use algebra? And he's like, nope, you'll never use it just to pass this class. Well, it, it's not a very complicated algebraic equation, but we use algebra. Our drivers use algebra because they're using a coefficient of friction based upon the size of the hose line, the elevation that uh, we're having to pump the water uphill if it's above the ground floor, uh, the nozzle gallons per minute. All those coefficients have an impact on how many gallons per minute we can pump through the hose line and how many gallons we need for a given fire. So it's it's not quite as simple as it, it may seem. Just turn on your hose, your garden hose spigot. So we do calculations. Uh, there's certainly some rule of thumb calculations that are a little bit more rudimentary that we use in the field. But uh, for the promotional tests, I mean, you're you're doing the algebraic equation down to the uh, you know quarter psi pressure. So okay. And what's a typical promotion to driver? Six for you is ten years, right? Yeah, you could do it. Let's see the fastest. Gosh, I don't remember what our process is now. It's going to change through the years. Um, I think you could you could probably test for driver within about three years if, if you wanted to. Again, I wanted to have my experience riding in the back seat, you know, working for different captains. So I tried to pretty much stay on the busiest engines and, and truck companies to be able to get experience as I worked my way up. And I knew once I tested for driver, I wasn't planning on being a driver for very long. So you have to be a driver for two years before you can test for captain. So that's exactly what I did. I was a driver for two years, tested for captain. Uh, got promoted, and then was a captain for about four and a half years before I got promoted to BC in January 1st of 11. All right, and you're going to stay there? Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. I don't have any big desire to stay operating. Yeah, I, I just really enjoy the operations component. You asked about how challenging it is with the shift schedule and stuff, and there's certainly benefits to it for sure. Um, it's allowed me to spend time with my oldest son when he was growing up, and I have twin eight-year-olds, girl boy twins right now. Um, the days off are great to be able to spend time with them. It is a challenge at times because you, you you end up spending holidays away from them. Um, when you're on a busy company, you, you know you get hammered at night. You know three, four, five calls in the night, and your next day shot. You know when you get off shift, especially if you got hit both both days of your shift in the night, you're exhausted when you get home from work. So you lose kind of a day there. Um, but you know it is nice that you can kind of schedule camping trips or, or what have you you can volunteer at your kid's school a little bit more so there's some great things about the schedule what would be advice that you would say to to people's spouses that when their partner wants to be a firefighter uh, with a shift because it's different like if they have a nine-to-five what would you tell them um well if the spouses they pay i mean the spouse is really um you know their their mom and dad you know when you're gone uh, there's a lot of times where you're not there you're not present and you're not available to be there you know, especially when you're a junior member, and that goes for junior member in each pay grade. Um, as a BC, I've been forced back to work for Christmas, Christmas Eve every year since I've been promoted. Uh, one one of those two days, just because I was a junior BC, um, and we didn't have a lot of people at the time qualified to to step up in that role. So, um, yeah, it's real hard on the spouses, not only from a pragmatic standpoint, taking care of your kids and. You ask any fireman's wife out there, and they'll tell you that the hot water heater breaks whenever they're on shift. The car breaks down when they're on shift. You know, same thing as the military. Everything happens when you're on deployment, right? 
It is, there's like a law of physics, I think, yeah. that requires that to happen. Yeah. Um, we help each other out. We try to help each other out if, you know, one of the guys is on shift and someone else has an issue. So, um, but that that's definitely a big thing. The, the other side of it is um, something we haven't really touched on, but um, there's an emotional side a component of the job of, of uh, you know, when you're seeing some of the things we see doing some of the things that we do, I mean, there, that takes a toll. And, and uh, quite honestly, I believe a lot of our firemen don't even realize it, but we, we have um, maybe unresolved issues as far as, you know, from PTSD type components of the job. Yeah, people think that you can't get PTSD from some things. Oh you my gosh. You get PTSD from being scared too hard when you oh. were a kid. Right? Yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I guess a good way for me to describe it is my, my son, who's now a junior at Boise State, but he was in high school at the time. He, he he told me one time, I hate you being a fireman. I'm like, why, why is that? He's like, you worry about everything. You bug me about wearing my helmet. You bug me about this and that. You know, but I mean, the bottom line is when you see someone's child die and, you know, you see the repercussions of the family, it's hard not to take that with you. It's hard not to have that affect your personality in the long run. And when you're talking about a 28-year career, you know, you do this for over five years, I'd, I'd be willing to bet most of our firemen have been on the job over five years, have some facet or component of, of uh, consequence for being exposed to that. But what kind of person shouldn't be a firefighter? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think people struggle if they're too timid. I mean, it's a very physical job. I mean, you, you got to be physically in good shape. Um, we certainly have, you know, really compassionate, emotional people, but I would suspect if you're off the charts on the emotional side, uh, we, we have had people that have been on the shift one day and gone on a SIDS call and said, you know what, I'm not going to be a fireman anymore. I can't do it, you know. So I, I suspect if you're, you know, if that if you think you'd have trouble with that type of stuff is probably not the job for you. What's the SIDS called? I'm sorry, SIDS. SIDS. Sudden infant death syndrome. So you know, like a your first call out of the gate is going on a, a baby that passed, you know, from SIDS. You know, that's a pretty tough call to go on, you know. Okay. What was your hardest day of your career? Hmm. That's a good question. Um hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of calls that come back that, you know, makes me think about different calls that I've been on. Um, the children calls for me are some of the more difficult, especially having children of your own. So there's a few of those that come to mind. Uh, we essentially lost a diver um, who was a good friend of mine uh, in 2008. Um, fortunately, they revived him. It was during a training exercise, uh, ice water or ice rescue training exercise. Uh, had a problem um, under the ice and uh, you know when you have an ice shelf above your head you can't just do a direct ascent to the surface and so he wasn't able to fortunately um, the shore team realized he was having an issue and they pulled him out by the rope and you know he was unconscious unresponsive and blue but they were able to revive him that was a pretty challenging time uh, I was uh, he was my sea shift relief in the mornings when I was one of the dive officers downtown and uh, he was like the man. I mean, he was our lead dive instructor. Um, he was a recon marine diver, special forces. Uh, and it was a combination of factors that, that caused that to happen, but one of which was a, 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 a 
manufacturing defect of a piece of equipment that we had. And uh, we don't use that equipment anymore. But that, for me, was a real challenge. Uh, being one of the dive officers who was a, a new diver, you know, I'd only been diving for a couple of years. And when our top guy has this happen, that was that was a real challenging time, you know, not only for his family and him, but, you know, for basically the whole dive team at that time, you know, based on how close a call that was. And you were able to revive him? Yeah, I wasn't actually there that day, but our divers that were there were, yeah, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then um, on the lighter side, how many cats have you saved? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, no cats, but I've had some. Uh, we went to a bear one time that Fish and Game shot out of a tree. Um, we've had deer end up in like some of the drainage uh, arterials in the foothills that have gotten stuck in there. Uh, some other animal type rescues, you know. I've got to talk to fishing games. Oh yeah, they got yeah, they got to have some they good ones. Have some crazy stories. Oh yeah. What was your favorite day, and then we'll end on uh, what your what your favorite day was like? Or... Okay. Um, well, the best part of my job for me personally is the camaraderie uh, of the of the service. I've always been a sports guy. You know, my whole life, sports were kind of my life. You know, starting at about five, uh, played competitive soccer, and then. I'm, was way into ice hockey and of course in high school played you know football and basketball sports you know growing up junior high and high school so sports are really my life I absolutely loved it and um, really the fire service is kind of like a high-stakes sports team uh, I mentioned it earlier but we really truly depend on each other and, and we really can't be out of position if one guy's out of position we don't just turn the ball over I mean the consequences are pretty high so for me I love the camaraderie of of uh you know, certainly our job's super dangerous at times, but if we work together, we can really mitigate that danger. And then in the end, you know, make a huge impact. You know, we had a rescue earlier this year that felt really good. You know, I was the the uh, instant commander on the deal, and, and uh, you know, we train all the time for this, you know, so it's not anything abnormal. But it, it, we had a, a little complicating factor, a couple complicating factors during the, the rescue, and uh, the two engine companies that were first in just – they just did an awesome job, made adjustments based on the challenges, uh, did exactly as we trained, and as a result, we were able to rescue this lady uh, from a fire in the middle of the night when she was, you know, unconscious, not responding, you know, and uh, she was flown to Salt Lake and, and survived the event, you know, and so that obviously that feels really good when you're able to save somebody like that, you know, so that's uh, that's probably one of my highlights, you know, I've had other saves like that, but that's probably one of the, the biggest highlights, yeah, and and for me. Like I said, it's the, the camaraderie, the teamwork uh, that I love the most about it. Wow. So someone that wants to get into this career field, advice for them? Yeah, uh, do good in school. Um, you know, it's not uh, – I, I think sometimes the perception is that the fire service is uh, a blue-collar job, and certainly there's a blue-collar aspect to it. Uh, but, you know, you really need to be educated to get through the process, you know, to get hired. We have – Everyone from Juris Doctorate degrees on our department to engineers to people. We had a guy that was an accountant for years, always wanted to be a fireman since he was a kid. And he was like, you know what? I'm sick of doing this. I'm tired of being an accountant. I'm tired of flying my desk. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. And his wife thought he was crazy, but he did it. He went through the process. He's been on the job a number of years now. And uh, so, like I said, we have everything from CPAs to uh, people that don't have a college education, you know, uh, 
at this point, you don't have to have a degree. It seems like most of the people that have that formal education tend to do a little bit better uh, in the process. But, um, yeah, my advice is pay attention to school. Um, you got to get your EMT to test uh, and uh, make exercise a lifestyle, not just a hurdle you got to do to try to get through the academy. It's You really need to make it a lifestyle. You know, the American Fire Service loses more people to heart attacks than anything. So you can imagine if you have a, a poor eating um, regimen and, and uh, um, exercise lifestyle and you're overweight and out of shape and you go from like we're sitting here right now talking to in five minutes you're inside a burning building with gear on weighted gear with your adrenaline peaking out there's a big impact on your heart when you do that and as a result we lose a lot of firemen every year because they don't have the cardiovascular capacity and, and uh, they have issues with the, the physical nature of the job beautiful we're right an hour, so that's pretty much the end. But the only thing I really don't understand is like when you guys really sleep. It's just whenever. Yeah, we don't have like a bedtime per se, but um, you know we try to get. I mean, the busier companies. Some I know the guys downtown. A lot of times they don't go to bed late until late. Because they're like, why do I want to go to bed at ten o'clock when I'm gonna get woke up at eleven and twelve and one? You know. Uh, I take a little opposite approach. I try to catch sleep when I can, so I try to be in bed lights out by ten. Yeah. But uh, some companies are a lot busier than others, so they get hit a lot harder than others. You know, uh, people see firefighters in the grocery store. What's yeah. going on there? I don't understand. Yeah. What's that? Well, we live together. We spend a third of our life in the firehouse, so naturally we eat together. So um, we a lot of times we'll shop to get the meal, and uh, they'll prepare the meal, and we'll eat as a family. You know, in the firehouse. It's like cheating on your family with your other family. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's been many a wife that's like, man, what's the matter with you? You just want to go to work, you know? <laughs> you, I mean, there's room in the budget for the other family to... Yeah. That's it, right? I mean, that's reality. Yeah, yeah, there needs to be. I mean, everyone just divvies up. I mean, there's no allowance for food or anything. Everybody divvies up on the meal, and, you know, it's usually four or five bucks. And Who cleans? Uh, if you cook, you don't have to clean. Otherwise, everybody else cleans. Cleans what? dishes oh you talk around the firehouse everything oh the firefighters the junior guy cleans around the firehouse you know he vacuums mops cleans toilets that whole thing there's gotta be some pranks <laughs> and stuff <laughs> oh yeah yeah that yeah there's definitely some uh practical jokes and stuff that have been played through, <laughs> throughout the years in the firehouse for sure yeah there's a lot i don't even know where to start on that one yeah like you guys are uh, on point when it counts. So Absolutely, yeah. A big thank you to Battalion Chief Aaron Hummel for his time. Also to Tammy Berry. She's a communications coordinator for the Boise Fire Department. She helps set all this up. A big, giant thank you to you. Now, if you want more information on becoming a firefighter for the city of Boise, head to fire.cityofboise.org. This is When I Grow Up, the Weeku Podcast. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.